This episode of the Darko Audio Podcast is brought to you by Blue Sound. Click to bluesound.com for $100 off the Node 2i through October 31st. Okay, so we're back with another episode of the Darker Audio Podcast. With me this time out, one Michael Lavonia of Twittering Machines. Michael, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Tell me, does the name Twittering Machines cause people confusion? I mean, whenever I type Twitter into my web browser, it always wants to go to your website. I'm like, no, I want Twitter, <laughs> not Twittering Machines. <laughs> I'd imagine it does, but... Um... You know, one of my feelings about uh, website names in general is uh, once you know what they are, you know what they are. I mean, does Google make any sense? I mean, if someone had said to you, you know, X number of years ago, hey, sure. how's Google for a name? You'd be like, yeah, that doesn't mean well, anything. It's funny, isn't it? Because Srajana told me this years ago at Six Moons. He was like, well, I chose Six Moons because it could be about anything. It, I mean, mm. Six Moons doesn't say anything about hi-fi. And I was actually a little bit jealous of the name at that point when he, when he explained it because I thought, yeah, because that back then I, I was digital audio review, which is <laughs> as sort of face permanently dumb as you can get in terms of like, <laughs> this is exactly what it is. And also very boring and dry, you know? And mm. so, yeah. That is an aspect to the name uh, Twittering Machines that I enjoy. It's playful and, and to my mind, fun. And it's the name of a Paul Clay painting, isn't it? It is, in the uh, singular. So, yes, the, the machines, uh, plural, is, is my addition, the S. Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so Twittering Machine, yes, is a uh, uh, painting by Paul Clay, which I saw as a kid. Um, it's in the Museum of Modern Art Collection, and uh, and it really kind of like sent my brain for a spin when I saw it, because it's also very playful and fun. You said playful and fun, and I thought, no, this is not what hi is about. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Um, well, that's not related. <laughs> no. <laughs> so earlier on today, you posted a um, little article about your Adam loudspeakers that sit on your desk which you've had for eight years is that right yeah something yes eight years yeah the atom a3x uh are i mean they're billed as studio monitors active studio monitors by the company but they're yeah perfect little desktop speakers mm, yeah but what caught my attention was that that you have them mounted on top of iso acoustics stands like the plastic ones the the, the hundred dollar ones i think they are yeah, I do. And those, uh, as I said in that little write-up, um, I view them as an essential ingredient, really, mm. in, the, in the performance of the speakers. Um, they make a tremendous amount of difference. And actually, those, are, uh, those stands are really, to my mind, quite, uh, quite uh, a bargain in terms of price performance. I mean, I agree, because I've got a pair, and I've tried them on a whole bunch of different speakers when I've just put them on top of a Calax unit. Mm. And it, they definitely make a difference to the sound quality. They definitely improve sound quality. I even lent them to Olaf one time for his LS50 wireless. Mm. And he brought them back up. And he, his feeling was the same as mine. He's, he was like, yes, they sound great. And they definitely make a, an improvement. But I can't stand the look of them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm, I could see that. I mean, I certainly don't mind the way they look, but that's, you know, horses for courses, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's a personal thing, but I I guess, yeah, I just, I just, I like the metal ones that they make. So the, the more expensive, mm. but it was just the plastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying, <laughs> trying not to belittle what you've got on your desk here. Now I, oh, I feel that's like what I you're am. doing. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, honestly, I was just trying to make the point that sometimes, sometimes, no matter how good something sounds, if it doesn't look right to me, I just it it, it doesn't do it for me. I can never use it. And I'm sure you, you know, you have other examples of this, but. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Actually, the Adam speakers themselves aren't the most attractive-looking things. Mm. Um, again, they're they're intended for the studio, but that look does not bother me. I mean, the, in this barn, I've got almost every a reference to every design <laughs> style known <laughs> to man. So you could throw anything in here, and it'll fit in as as well or as poorly as everything else. <laughs> right. Right. Because the reason that the ISO acoustic stands caught my eye was because for the last few days I've I've been well yeah listening to it, well this is a kind of a weird way of describing it but experimenting with the the Gaia three um, loudspeaker supports that ISO acoustics make so ordinarily with a floor stand speaker they're like a puck that screws into the bottom where the spike would ordinarily go in, in a floor stander mm -hmm. but in my case i put i've screwed them into the bottom of my speaker stands oh, okay which are atacama nexus 6i for anybody that cares and so basically i've got the stand sitting on these four pucks and you have to make sure that the the logo is on each puck is facing forward or all of them are facing backwards because of the way they work apparently okay so so the, i've got the um the bucat a 500 i have to make sure i get the, the model name right a 500 of speakers on top so when you put your hand on top of the bucats you can actually sort of move the speaker almost in a circular motion because it pivots with the the springy nature of these isoacoustic pucks right mm -hmm. so i went into this this little experiment mainly because of Phil, who writes for me in the UK, and he'd reviewed them and said, my God, these things are absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. He wrote that in the review and told me privately. So I got a set in, and I put them in a few days ago, and oh my fucking God, excuse my swearing. <laughs> but it, 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 you've, I'm mentioning this because you you might want to try these yeah. because they are they make an astonishing improvement to the sound of these speakers. I, <laughs> I was not ready for it. <laughs> I, I did hear, I think on two occasions at shows, mm. uh, I heard Isoacoustics demo the Gaia uh, mm. sp speaker supports. What do you want to call them? Uh, yeah, I don't know what they, what are they called? Um, I guess I've got the boxes upstairs now. But, um, but yeah. in, in any event, yeah, those demos were very convincing. Uh, and I'm not surprised. I mean, because it's the same with the... Uh, the ugly plastic stands I use. <laughs> <laughs> Those but ugly plastic stands you use, I think is the, the correct term, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, uh, on this general subject, I mean, this the uh, hi-fi rack that I use, hmm. uh, um, underneath that rack, which weighs, I guess, near 300 pounds, hmm. are these footers from Lingo Lab, which are also... Uh, spring-loaded i guess for lack of a better mm. word so that mm. if you push on the on that stand it will rock 
you know, gently. Yeah, same thing with these things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I understand. Yeah, but it is the most effective uh, rack I've ever used in terms of, uh, well, you know, when you're listening to records, um, you can you can jump up and down. Well, you probably can't, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> I'm trying to hold back the shortest jokes, but I, <laughs> I don't know how many short people are listening, you know, and everyone is shorter than me. So, <laughs> oh, well. yeah, but yeah, so these, so these are isoacoustic pucks. I mean, for me, mm. they, I was, I was playing, um, Prince's sign of the times earlier on, um, the new, you know, 96 track remaster. I only played the, the, the first two discs of the album itself. And it's just, it's quite obvious that with these pucks in place, you get this, one of my favorite qualities of bass is to have this sort of rubbery, elasticy sort of bouncing ball type bass, you know, like mm. not like a hard basketball, but like a, not as soft as a squash ball, but maybe like a, mm. know, like a tennis ball. So like when you bounce a tennis ball on the floor, it has that oh. real satisfying sound to it, right? Mm -hmm. The same with the bass with these pucks in place. And then that has this sort of knock-on effect that really clears up the mid-range. And I mean, I've, I've, I have to confess, I've only been listening to these for, yeah, three or four days. So I have to sort of hold my powder dry a little bit, but I, I find it very difficult. But mm. it's just that, you know, three or four days for me is generally not long enough to derive reliable conclusions. Like if I, I was doing some DAC comparisons for last week mm. and oh, it took me a week, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this, uh, this is something you and I have spoken about quite a lot over the years is the the importance of long-term listening when doing comparisons or whatever, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, it's, it's indispensable long being able to spend real time with the component in order to, you know, I guess the way I would like to say it is to get to understand what it's doing. Mm. And that there's a distinct difference in my mind between that approach uh, and doing a very short listening session where you're judging it based on how well it compares to what you know. So in mm. other words, that's almost like, oh yeah, this deck isn't doing X, Y, and Z that mine does, mm. as opposed to what is this deck doing in a general sense. Mm. And, you know, this to, uh, plays into the fact that uh, different designers have uh, different ears when it Ooh. comes to what they want their products to sound like and that's a very personal uh decision-making process mm. i mean i think what you what you've just said there actually kind of strikes a chord with something that i've thought a lot about over the last few years is that in in what we do we have to let go of ourselves our own egos and our own personal proclivities and tastes if as much as we possibly can so, so that we're not sort of drawn to criticize things that don't meet our own personal requirements and try and think about who this would work for nicely like uh, who would be interested in this product or who would enjoy this kind of sound what kind of person would find pleasure in this yeah right? I, yeah that makes perfect sense to me and and uh, one add-on thought I have along those lines is if we do take the approach as a reviewer of, of passing this kind of quick judgment on something, some component, we are, we're, we're in effect saying, 
our uh, preferences are are more important and more valid than those of the person who made this thing. Mm. Uh, and that I think is a very sh- is very shaky ground to walk on. In other words, you know, someone listening to the uh, Tambaki DAC mm. in a dealer. And within 15 minutes saying, well, you know, I like this and this about it, but it's short in this and this and this area. As if Bruno, the designer, uh, is unaware of, of, of how to design a deck. Mm. <laughs> yes. You know, and that's that assumption, which I see made often, um, uh, about a- any component speakers, you know, oh, that cabinet resonates so much. It it can't be uh, a good uh, faithful reproduction of, or it can't offer a faithful reproduction of blah, 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 blah. You know, mm. that's, again, like someone's uh, ideas imposing themselves um, to such an extent that they're unable to hear what something sounds like. <laughs> yeah, to try and think about what it can do. To, to think outside of oneself, to think, well, okay, this might not be to my tastes, mm-hmm. but it might be to somebody else's tastes. And what are the those exact qualities that would appeal to somebody else's taste? It's a, it's a sense of it's a general. Uh, what's the word? It's a, it's um, I guess it's like empathy or selflessness, right? Mm-hmm. It in when you're judging something, I'm judging is the wrong word, but when you're you know you're trying to tease out the personality of say a pair of pair of speakers or a DAC or whatever you're engaging in, in a selfless act. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I find that that process is much more difficult. Uh, if you know, and that's how I try to approach each review. Mm. Um, but writing a review will with that in mind is, and trying to keep, um, this at the forefront, in other words, you know, what does this thing do and what are its qualities without making any kind of judgment on that, just presenting, mm. you know, what something is very, is much more difficult, at least for me, than to write a glowing review about something I love. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you could say why you love it, but it's not, it's not about you, is it? Right. Or it, sh- well. it, it shouldn't be about you. It's because mm. <laughs> that's a very egocentric way of tackling the problem of well not the problem the challenge of what are the speaker's innate qualities what do I, not what do i like about it but what are its sort of not not even positives and negatives but where will people relate to this product where mm-hmm. where does it have its hooks into other people's lives yeah that sounds, that sounds really pretentious doesn't it but well <laughs> well but i'm not so sure because what i'm th- what where I'm, where I'm going in thought as you say these things is, mm. you know, um, this is why, I, I, and I, we agree on this, uh, the importance of, of not only comparing something we're reviewing to a, a like component, but also putting it in a system context that makes sense. Yes. Yes. You know, the last thing I think anyone out there needs is a review of a uh, $3,000 integrated amplifier going through $30,000 speakers. Mm. And then using, uh, you know, $40,000 monoblock amplifiers and a $30,000 preamp to make comparisons to that integrated amp. Because it's it, it's irrelevant. <laughs> it's, 
just right because if somebody's looking at that three grand amp, they're not also going to be considering a two hundred thousand dollar amplification system that the you yes. know, is being used. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, so you and I have spoken a lot about this over the last few years about the need for comparisons to other gear that costs roughly the same or in the same ballpark and then used in systems that are sort of financially um commensurate really i guess with what you what it is you're reviewing yeah yeah i think that's yeah that's exactly key um again in my experience i don't out in the world i don't find many systems that are comprised of hugely disparate price swings from component to component to speaker Mm. right yes yeah. You know, I mean, there are those odd, rare instances, you know, quirky, even, I mean, if we rewind back a few decades, I was using a Sony PlayStation as a CD player and an otherwise much more expensive mm. system. Yeah. But, you know. But that but that was a bit of a, that thing had a bit of a, a cult following. Yeah, that was more of an anomaly than a yeah. than normal. But I know what you mean, because if I use an amplifier that is considerably more expensive than the loudspeakers that it's driving, People do comment, and because it, it bucks audio f- conventional audiophile thinking that you should spend the most money on the loudspeaker mm. you know, when you're putting together a system. And I understand why people sort of like to stick to that because it gives them a framework with which to work. And when you're starting out, that's very important. You need something, just some idea to kind of hang your <laughs> your plan on. Some kind of yeah, but. The more I've got, the more I do this, the more I'm a fan of <laughs> putting a, a more expensive amplifier with a, a less costly pair of speakers, hmm. especially if that pair of speakers fits the room best. And that's the key, really. It's like if, I, yes. if, the, hmm. if the speaker happens to, like the LS50 is a good example, right? It's not a hugely expensive speaker. You know, it's like 1200 bucks, something like mm-hmm. that. I forgot what the new one is. But I would happily just chuck all sorts of you know, expensive amplification on those things because I love that speaker and it works very well in this room. And I guess this is the other thing that I wanted to get to today is because, because we're doing long, you know, long-term testing, if you like, or long-term mm. listening, that limits the number of products that we can test, assess, evaluate, whatever, in any given year. So it may be... Well, you know, if, even if you did one a week, it's going to be fifty products per year. Yes. Right? Yep. Which is only a very small percentage of the number of products that you <laughs> might want to, you know, have you know, have in your barn or me have in my apartment here. Um, and that means that we, you know, as you know, as as reviewers, I hate. Uh, this is why I was stumbling there because I hate the word. I don't know why I've I've got a problem with the reviewer word, but I, I've kind of. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that later, maybe. But mm. as as reviewers, we don't get to hear all that much gear, really, relative to that which gets released or that we want to. So, and I'm where I'm going with this is that I have I don't know whether you, you've got any ideas, this Michael. I have a problem in trying to communicate to my audience that if you were to stack up all of the gear that I have not heard at home, and then stack up all the gear that I have heard at home. The first pile would be enormous, and the second pile would be very small. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And yeah, it's inevitable for me, even though I do try um, to review groups of like components. Also, mm. you know, within a, a rough ballpark price range, 
I can always add a ton more to my wish list. Mm. You know, for example, I just reviewed uh, three uh, DACs, one from Total DAC, uh, the Mola Mola Tembaki, and the uh, mm-hmm. Hollow Audio May DAC. And I mm-hmm. really wanted to have the DCS Bartok, and I could think of a few others. But it's just mm. not always possible, <laughs> you know. For some, t- you know, sometimes for practical reasons, manufacturers may not have loan uh, review loaners available, you know. Yeah, I think this is the thing that I'm trying to, I'm struggling to communicate, or maybe I have, because I've done this in the past in my videos and people have told me to shut up about it because I've, I've said it so many times, so I'm shutting up about it, but here I am bringing it up again <laughs> in that, you know, there is a certain part of my audience thinks that I have access to everything all of the time mm. and nothing could be further from the truth. I have access to 1% of gear because I might, I mean, there may be a bunch of stuff that I want to review, but you know, I might phone you and go, Hey, have you got a contact at this company? Because I wouldn't mind trying to get hold of that. And then I'll, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get hold of that person. And then I have to convince them to send me something and they might not want to, or they might not have review samples available or that the review samples might already be out there, mm-hmm. or they might, might not be looking for any more reviews at this time. So there's a whole range of, there's a whole sort of litany of, um, steps that one has to or hoops that one has to jump through to get a product from a manufacturer into one's house right yeah absolutely (laughs) and 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 no matter how long my list is of uh, you know oh i wish i also had x y and z here for this review to do comparisons Mm. readers add about a thousand more components to that it's inevitable that when making comparisons um i'll get emails or people will comment on wherever um mm. oh did you compare it to and they'll name dax that i've never even mentioned having uh, with this assumption i guess that we as reviewers uh, kind of have this b- back room that's just filled with almost everything yes. <laughs> we can yes uh, we can pull it out you know um and, and it's just not uh, it's just not the case not the case at all i mean i think uh, i mean i've even taken to saying in my videos this is the only comparison you're going to get because I realize that people want comparisons. Mm-hmm. So I can't completely ignore this fact. So I too, I do try and sort of feed that, that desire in my, with my audience as best I can. So I give them one comparison, but then I, I've have, I've taken to qualifying that comparison by saying, this is the only thing that I've compared it to, but still I get people asking, how does it compare to X? Yes. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure in the video I said that (laughs) (laughs) this is the only comparison I've done. But even beyond that, like, I mean, where, where do you think I've heard this X? Because it's, it's not in my list of YouTube videos. If you search for it on my website, you won't Mm. find it. So I I just don't know how to communicate this (laughs) any better than I'm already doing. And even now I still come up because the number one question that I, I don't know where you see this or not, but that I see is how does it compare to blah? Mm-hmm. Number one, you know, bar none. Over the years, I've seen this, you know, so many times, which is, I, I think, why I value comparisons as much as I do, even though they can only be one portion of my, you know, the, the reviewer as a whole. Like it's only one part of it. So I can't let them take over. Yeah, well, this um, yeah, this comes up all the time, and this exact uh, scenario just came up within the last day or two. Mm. 
you know, someone asking about uh, the DAX are reviewed and, and added a few and said, oh, how does it compare to X and Y? Mm. And I've never, well, in one, in one instance, I hadn't reviewed the one DAC. Well, I hadn't reviewed the new version, but the uh, V1, if you will, of that DAC I reviewed mm. like four years ago. So, you know, yeah, it's just... So- yeah, that's an interesting point because I get asked a lot about how does this new five grand DAC compare to the Denifrips Terminator? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the other thing I'm obviously not communicating to my audience very well is that that Terminator I reviewed 18 months ago, the, the review sample left my house a week after the review went up on YouTube and I've never seen it again. Mm-hmm. So I will not do a comparison based upon memory of something I reviewed two years ago. Because the differences between these products are too small for that comparison to be reliable. But I don't know whether you feel the same way or not. Oh, I do. In, yeah, and as you stated, yeah, I do agree. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about subtleties in presentation, um, yeah, I, I, I would not rely on, on memory. Uh, Especially as the and the more time has passed, the less reliable it would become. Mm. Uh, however, I do. Th- I guess I do want to go there. I mean, to my mind, no, go there. Do it. Do it. Yeah, I mean, to my <laughs> mind, with some products, um, if their performance was truly outstanding, I mm. do, I may not be able to access. You know these subtle sonic variations and then make some comparison to something that I'm sitting in front of. But I can talk about how that listening through this component or whatever it was, uh, how I felt at the Mm. time. And uh, one of the things that recently came up, I mean, I I don't know about you, but I use in most reviews a a handful or maybe more than a handful of the same songs and I've been using some of them for more than 10 years uh, mm. as part of my review process. So I don't always talk about it, but I, I'm always using them. And so, you know, I've heard some of these uh, songs through countless systems. Mm. So, I, you know, the memory of how I've been impacted by uh, listening to a song you know, through a certain DAC, let's just say, um, is, is, can be a very strong memory. And, uh, you know, which is different from saying, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it resolves more inner detail or something, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. I think, I guess in, in broad brushstroke terms, like for example, like when I made this video about these bootcut speakers, I did say that it's better than any of the other passive mm. loudspeaker systems I've been listening to the, in the previous six months. Mm-hmm. And that's a very broad, general thing, and we're talking about complete systems in this room. Yes. So I feel I feel comfortable with that. And I guess if somebody asks me, "Is this active speaker as good as the bootcuts?" I mean, I'm assuming I've heard it at home. Mm. I stress at home. Um, then I might be able to say something very loose about that, but. In terms of saying, well, here's a DAC review and then comparing it to the Denifrips from two years ago, absolutely no way. Because it's it, the, the subtleties are, the subtleties are, w- are what makes a DAC, right? Its appeal is in its sort of subtle lean in this direction or that direction or its talents in this area. And again, they're usually pretty subtle. And that's why people gravitate to one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to... I'd rather say nothing than make a mistake on that or 
you know, I don't. I guess it's also being very aware of what you don't know. Uh, yes, you know, well, that's I'm, I'm, a great point <laughs> as well. I mean, that is a that is such a good point, and I have to. I have a story. I think that um, for me illustrates one of the danger zones of 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 uh, believing you know more than you know. And this mm. is going way back uh, to my six moons days. Uh, a new writer had joined the team who lived also lived in New Jersey. We mm-hmm. had never met. So he said, hey, why don't we meet? Uh, do you want to meet in the city, go record shopping? And, you know, so we did. Um, and we ended up at the uh, dealer in living stereo mm-hmm. because he had just uh, gotten in a new pair of uh, speakers. Uh, they were the Auditorium 23 solo box, a very unusual speaker, uh, mm-hmm. very always produced in very small runs. So they had just arrived in the U.S. and I was interested in hearing them. Mm-hmm. And so was this other uh, person who shall remain nameless. <laughs> so we went into in living stereo. They were already playing in the back room. No one was there. So he sat down in the sweet spot. And within, it was minutes, turned to me and said, great phono section. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's yeah, that's, uh, see, I just cannot relate to people like that. Yeah, no, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah, all kind of all kinds of bells went off <laughs> for me. Anyway, well, yeah, I mean, I guess yes. The number one thing I would love to say in a free world is you're talking shit. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yes. bullsh- you're bullshitting us, right? <laughs> yes. Because you can't possibly know this. I mean, it's the same. I, I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but I'll, I don't think you and I have spoken about it. Well, certainly on the podcast um, about listening at audio shows mm-hmm. where you've got unfamiliar music, unfamiliar room, unfamiliar gear. You can't possibly make any reliable judgments about really anything in the room maybe the system as a whole yeah maybe but again this is i don't feel comfortable in doing that but i i did i remember having a Hmm. conversation with a journalist in poland a few years ago who said to me he's he's like no i feel completely comfortable doing that because i know what all of these components sound like individually and i can sort of mentally map them together wow and know how they should sound in a room I was like, holy, holy moly, am I in the in the wrong room right now? Yeah. Well, and that that and and I find that hard, hard, well, I don't want to say hard to believe, but hard to fathom, because what he does certainly doesn't know is um, how the setup in that room that he's in has affected the sound of that system. Mm. I, you know, I've been to shows where. I go into a room and it could be the first day, you know, it's happened on other days, but let's say in general, it usually happens early on where the um, exhibitor is not happy with the sound mm. and they continue to work on setup, meaning moving speakers around, moving room treatments, mm. perhaps furniture. And if you go back a few days later, it can sound um, dramatically different mm. just because things have been moved around. Mm-hmm. So... You know, if you think, you know, you've gone into a room and heard a system uh, and you're only hearing the result of this mix of components and you don't have to think about room and setup, well, you're missing, obviously, anyone who's set up a stereo, whether it be in their own home, has spent any time moving their speakers around, completely understands this. Mm. 
I think there is a desire, an, an innate desire among people and people who happen to be audiophiles or into this kind of stuff, this this kind of gear. They there is a desire to be to be seen as a sort of um what's the word here? An important source of information or a, an opinion that should be valued. An authority. Now, yeah. You know, an authority, yeah. Well, I didn't want to go as far as that, but like but and I yeah. have to include myself in this because obviously that is going to be part of my psychological makeup because of what I do. But I do or I never comment on stuff that I've heard at shows or v- it, it would have to be a very rare occasion if I did that. Mm. Um, certainly not in a, in a public space, you know, like on, on Facebook groups or wherever like that. And I, but I see people doing this quite a lot where they'll, they'll comment on gear that either they've heard a show or never heard at all. Yeah. I saw a dude recently commenting, trying to, no, he was trying to extrapolate the M33, the, the NAD M33 sound from his experience of the predecessor, which has a completely different amplifier section. In it. <laughs> I think, uh, so, but I think there is this, this desire to be, I, I guess it, maybe it's an egocentric thing that you want to show people what you know or show off what you know, but even even if it's, you know, even if you have to disregard the fact that you don't really know, and there is a desire to talk about gear online, um, even if you haven't heard it. And that tends to steer people, I think, down some very weird paths with conversations and with topics of conversation. I mean, I don't want to get too personal about this. But. Right. But I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, certainly I agree. And I've had this, uh, exp- I mean, I've witnessed this kind of thing. And if, if you, if you, if I haven't had firsthand experience, let's say listening to a pair of speakers mm. in the barn and yes. let's say I'm out somewhere and somebody wants to talk about those speakers, Mm. How much do I really have to say about them beyond what you could learn from the manufacturer's website? Mm. Not a heck of a lot. Yeah, right. I mean, in, but, in, in my, you know, from my um, point of view, uh, that's so I don't really have much to offer there. Now, if I if, if someone asks me about you know divorce speakers, which I've owned and mm. used for many many years, yeah, I have a lot to say. Mm. But if I haven't heard something, uh, uh, you know, I feel like I'm, uh, I don't have a lot on offer, but there are people who uh, that it doesn't stop them. Having not heard something is is irrelevant because they've built up a, a schema of rele- relevant um, data points that they mm. use to then extrapolate, you know, performance uh, f- from. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was actually, I wrote a list of, or well, a short list of things, you know, ahead of this podcast of things that people, people tend to, I mean, I was talking with um, a guy from AudioQuest last week, and I was saying that people are generally, if they, ex- first-hand experience is very hard to come by. You have to put a lot of effort into it, especially if if you if you if your day job is not our day job, you know, mm. reviewing gear, you have to go to a store or go to a show or buy gear and live with it for a while and sell it. You have to make a lot of effort. I mean, we do as well, but it's part of our daily job. But I mean, mm. what I'm saying is it, that which whatever you do, it takes a lot of effort to ha- a- obtain direct experience with a product, lots of effort. And I think a lot of people either 
don't or can't or you know don't want to do that but it doesn't seem to stop them in having an opinion about how something would sound and i've again Mm. i kind of tap out and go i just don't relate to these people at all like how can you i mean one of the one of the great ones and i I know that you we've we've discussed this before Mm. is two dacs that utilize the same deck, <laughs> right? Yeah. So people will say, well, it's got that ESS deck in it, so it's going to sound like this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, how can you possibly know this mm-hmm. when the power supply, the output stage, even the even the input receiver, all have an impact on the way that that whole DAC as an entire unit sounds? Mm-hmm. So it's the implementation. But because on the spec sheet, it'll say something like ESS 9038K2M or whatever. Mm-hmm. People gravitate, you know, very quickly to, to those numbers because it gives them something to talk about without having had direct experience. Yeah, yes, exactly. And the same, I think it's the same case with speakers if they can recognize the, or think they recognize the drivers in right. the speakers. Oh, those are CS drivers. So, yeah, they're going to sound like this. <laughs> yeah, so never mind the cabinet or the way it's <laughs> or the crossover. Yeah, yeah, any of these things. And I, I, and I have to be very careful here in saying all of this because I'm trying, I'm really, I don't want to come across like, well, we're, you know, we're, we're talking from these ivory towers of review, reviewers and hmm. you play down there can't, you know, can't possibly access all this gear. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who essentially don't know what they don't know. Well, yeah. That's what it comes down to, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, if we step away from uh, hi-fi for a second, mm. and um, let's assume that, uh, let's assume you've just moved to Berlin mm-hmm. and you're out with a, a group of people and you say, hey, what are some good restaurants, you know, mm. ar- around where I live? And a few people offer advice and then, you dig a bit and you say, oh, you know, John, you just said, or Joe, let's not make it confusing. Joe, you know, you said this is the best restaurant uh, in this neighborhood. How does it compare to some other things? And he says, well, it's the only restaurant I've ever eaten at in my entire life. Mm. But it's the best restaurant. And then you ask Sarah and she says, oh, well, I've lived here for 20 years and I've eaten at most of the restaurants and I like this one because of X, Y, and Z. Which opinion would you find more valuable? Mm. Well, that's it because it's about it's about breadth of experience as well, isn't it? It's mm. not just have you had experience with that one product, but also, you know, behind all of that, you know, in, in the broader sense, what other products or restaurants have you tried at home? Well, they can't try a restaurant at home. But you don't even know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you know what what's your what's your breadth of experience? I mean, you might have owned a pair of say Magnapan. I know 3.7s for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So whenever somebody comes on a on a Facebook group and says, "What speaker should I buy?" You're in there with Magnapan, <laughs> right? Right. And you see this up because people will suggest what they what that what they own because it's what they know. When there's, I, I guess that does fulfill my criteria of, of direct experience. And yeah, sure. But what you've just said about the restaurants is that also behind <laughs> backing up that opinion is your experience with other things so it's not just direct experience with the thing that you're talking about or being asked about but it's your your broader experience as well i think yeah exactly and you know to jump back into uh hi-fi you know um someone who has worked as a salesman in the industry you know at Mm. dealers for years and years and years um 
certainly has even more experience with more gear than I do. So yeah, like Steve Guttenberg. Yeah, like Steve Guttenberg, like yeah, yeah John Devore, you know, mm-hmm. people that have have put in decades, um, you know, trying to get the best out of of every system they put together um, for sale. I mean, that's uh, that kind of experience is really invaluable it, it, when it comes to being able to make comparative statements. Right. The bre- yeah, breadth of experience, and, and it, it's. it's it almost sounds silly to have to say it out loud because again, if we apply this to anything else, no matter what it is, mm. I don't know anyone who says, you know what, when I look for advice, I want to find the least experienced person out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, so there's no value judgment placed on, on, um, on having the opportunity to listen and, uh, to gear. I mean, it's just simply mm. what we've chosen to do. And because of that choice, we have really, to my mind, the luxury of experiencing, you know, uh, you know, more gear in our homes than your average person. Mm. But that's just a choice we've made, you know, wh- where we've decided to spend our, and really you for now 10 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, congratulations. And um, thank you. You yeah. know, not, however many years it's been for me with however many interruptions have <laughs> occurred <laughs> in that process. But um, nonetheless, I'm just saying, you know, it's not, I, I don't feel it's uh, necessarily something to be applauded or it's just simply what we do and because of what we do we're afforded this uh experience so i think this so if somebody asks for an, a, an opinion like which speaker should i buy or which amp should i buy for these speakers right mm-hmm. let's, let's use that question on a facebook group mm. and somebody you know chimes in with an answer like with with a with a suggestion it might take you as the poser of the question as much time to work out who that person is, what their experience is, where, how they've arrived at that suggestion, all the sort of background stuff that you'd want to know, mm-hmm. as it would do to actually just go and <laughs> go and try the amplifier. Yes. And, you know, to, to either go to a dealer or, and this is a slightly controversial one, is to buy it, live with it for a while, and then sell it afterwards if you don't like it or if you want to try something else. I'm a big fan of this buy, try, sell model of gaining experience. because. Also, that's how I did it when I was starting out. Hmm. I was buying a lot in the secondhand market in Australia and then trying it and then selling it. Mainly, and I was doing secondhand because I didn't, I wouldn't lose as much money as I would do buying new. Yeah. And I, and I also wasn't so, I, I would just buy stuff just to see what it sounded like. It, I was purely driven by curiosity, which I think is a very powerful and very underrated sort of motivational force in, in learning right it's not just yeah. about te- teachers it's just about just i wonder what that sounds like with this or i wonder what this these speakers would sound like in my room so i i did a bunch of that and i know that people listening will be probably thinking well i can't afford to just go out and buy this five mm. grand amp and then sell it if i don't like it now my response to that again is not a favorable one for many people and i would say that you're shopping at the wrong price <laughs> if, right i know mm. it's 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 hard to hear but if you can't afford you know, if, if five grand is really stretching your budget and you cannot afford to make a mistake mm. and you don't have any dealers in your area and you've got no way of trying this thing without buying it, you either need to go and buy something else that you can hear at a dealer 
or buy at a cheaper price point so that when you do have to resell it, when you lose 10 or 20%, it's in the hundreds, not the thousands. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I guess that is one of the issues with the, um, I was good, well, I'll say it, with the internet. And and yes. the, there's so many reviews out there. And the way mm-hmm. that so many reviews are written, written you're lead to, led to believe, oh my God, I have to hear that. Mm. Oh, like that's the best thing, but I, there's, you know, they're, they're not even available in the U S but somehow I've got to get them. And, mm. you know, that can work out. I mean, as I'm saying that I'm reminded of someone I met many years ago when I was doing these road tour articles uh, for six moons. And this was the guy who uh, fell in love with the car freight little bighorns from a review in listener magazine. Hmm. And you couldn't get them anymore. They were no longer manufactured. They were super scarce. And then they're enormous. So, but he found a pair, and I think it was Australia, and he lives in New Jersey. And he <laughs> he got them. And he wow. arranged shipping in the whole nine yards. And I went and listened to his system. So there, you know, that was a case where, you know, he was willing to to go to great lengths and great expense to experience something that he had read about. You know, which to me is, you know, hey, it's great. If you're that passionate about something, I say go for it. And it mm. also, I also I think, and I've had this experience many, many times with somebody emailing me, you know, about putting together a system. Let's just say it's will be at a minimum ten thousand mm. dollars. And my advice, you know, well, I'm thinking of this, this, and this, and this, all components that you can never hear in one place. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would do if I was you is I would go to a dealer. Oh, I don't have a local dealer. I think spend a weekend in New York. If you're going to spend $15,000 on a hi-fi, yes. you could certainly, yes. you know, back in the day when we could do these things, but, you know, take a flight, go somewhere and, yeah. and listen to these things and then, and make it a nice weekend. Take a friend, take a spouse, have a nice dinner out, you know, make it an enjoyable uh, weekend. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people just, uh, they draw the line at investing that time and money uh, to do it. So then it becomes, you know, more or less a guessing game. Well, this I think this is what the internet has caused many people to believe, is that there are um, very fast and easy answers available to them at their fingertips all the time. Because we use this, we look up facts and, you know, we go to Wikipedia and whatever, we can find out something in an instant. Hmm. But when it comes to something so personally subjective as sound quality you know for our music tastes and for our brain and whatever our ears it's impossible to find those very quick and easy answers and you have to do some work and i've been saying this a lot recently Mm. you as a listener as a as a hi-fi enthusiast whatever you are you have to do some work and that involves going to a dealer or as you say going to a different city or i mean you mentioned having a 10 grand budget Mm. One one way I would suggest people to to apply that budget is take the ten grand and just spend two grand and go and buy a pair of speakers, an amp, and a DAC or a phono stage, whatever, mm. and do that, and then live with that for a while. Now I know it's not your dream system, and then swap something out. So then sell the amp and buy another amp, mm-hmm. and then maybe buy an, another pair of speakers because you've got the money, you've got ten grand, and then operate around this sort of two grand, three grand system, Mark, and get some experience together Yeah, to find, to find out 
what you like and you'll have a ball doing it mm -hmm. because you get the excitement of the new the new toy thing right, <laughs> right. very yeah. often and yes it's a pain selling things but yes you have to you have to put in the work there's there is no you can't read a Lavonia review or a Darker review and go, that's what I need, bang, done. <laughs> many, many people do yes, this, but yeah. they are the people that can walk away from that kind of spend. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I hope they are. You know, they, they, they go and spend, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know, like a $900 on that Cambridge Audio CXNV2 streamer. Mm. Now, I've, if you've bought that on an impulse, I hope you can afford to walk away from the money if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. However, Cambridge do... Um, 30 day home trial. So it's not, it's not even an issue. So I think this is where you can, this is the other thing I wanted to get to is that if, you know, if you really dead set against doing this buy, try and sell thing that I'm pushing pretty hard here mm. is, is, you know, tr buy gear from manufacturers that give you a home trial. Mm -hmm. And then you then again, you can gain experience that way. Yes. It's going to cost you a restocking fee, but, I think that's money well spent to gain that experience. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I believe me, I've spent uh, many years doing the buy, try, and sell. <laughs> many, right. many years. Um, you know, because one thing. Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> cutting you off. But that's right. One thing it enables is it it, it enables your curiosity. It gives a. Um, a pathway for your curiosity because you can go i wonder what that sounds like with that or how these things sound together i did it today i had mm. a couple of components i thought i wonder how these go together it's just well that's it's, a, a, yeah 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 so yeah stepping back a little to this uh, to this point about reviews and people buying from a review mm. you know um it's unfortunately the case that we review components or speakers. We don't review yes. systems, correct? which can be very misleading. And I'll use the most extreme example I, I, uh, I can think of. Let's mm. say there's a reviewer out there who owns and uses quad 57s, refurbished mm -hmm. quad 57s, mm -hmm. as this has the speakers for review. It's my mm. opinion that... If that person reviews amplifiers, the only use value that review will have is if you also own Quad 57s. Exactly. Because yes. they're notoriously fickle when it mm -hmm. comes to what sound you're going to get out of a system. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't make any general statements about amplification if you're using those speakers. Mm. And then likewise, I mean, let's, you know, a silly example, but nonetheless, let's say you've got you know, some big beast of a multi-driver speaker uh, mm -hmm. that dips down to two ohms and you decide you're going to start to review single-ended triode amplifiers. You know, that, I don't know. That's like, uh, you know, reviewing sports cars and you live in the desert and you're only going to drive in the sand or something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just absurd. But, you know... Over the years, I've seen both of those things done. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But it's, mm. it's like I would, this last week, I've been comparing two DACs. I won't say what they are, mm. but because um, it doesn't matter. But one of them is a little bit sort of leaner and brighter, but also better extended and better separated than the other. Mm -hmm. And the other one, I think, has a, a sort of fuller sound, but it's a bit more congealed. It's not quite as airy. And you go, well, which one's best? Well, the thing is, 
the answer depends upon actually i was using headphones to test these tags mm. which the answer wholly depended upon the headphones in play mm-hmm. so with one of them i preferred it with a mr speaker's headphone the other one i preferred with a um rosson audio headphone mm-hmm. so it, it, again yeah like you say it depends upon the system in which this product sits in and I know you and I, again, we've spoken about this before. Like when we see, I guess it's also measurements of gear. Hmm. Um, and I think measurements, I have to preface this, but I think measurements are really, really important and very valuable to know if a if an engineer or the product designer has made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, what, well. but if somebody measures one of these DACs, it's not going to tell me how that DAC is going to sound with that Mr. Speaker's headphone, even with the amplifier in between. It's just not going to tell me that. So again, that my experience with these things overrides any speculation or yeah, speculation derived from just looking at a page of measurements. Well, yeah. Yeah. Measurements can tell us a lot of things, but they can't tell us how we're going to feel about something when we're listening to it in our system. Right. I, I think, yeah, Doug Schneider published something about this recently because he was talking about how he's bought an audio precision hmm. and how, how they're going to be using it um, moving forward. I think mainly because COVID has knocked out the um, the lab that they normally use. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I, I wish I could quote him. Actually, I'm, I'm looking at the website now, but basically the gist is this. He's like, he's, we're going to do this. We're going to produce our own measurements, but what we're not going to do is we're not going to say, we're not going to make any claims about how a product will sound because there is no real general consensus about how measurements translate to sound quality. Mm-hmm. None at all. And he and I have spoken about this on the phone as well. And I think this is a very, this is a very good but important stand to make. It's like, yeah, we're going to do the measurements, but don't get carried away with you know their interpretation because that could lead you down the wrong path or mislead. You know? Yeah. Well, I think um, this is another great point and something. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, if there's anyone on this planet, to my mind. Uh, who can who can actually go down the road of uh, using measurements to inform how things may perform in a system context? Mm. Is and that's John Atkinson because I mean, mm-hmm. yes, right. I mean because he's he's got the ex, the the experience not only in measuring things but in listening to things those same things in a system context, and uh, uh, you know. But uh, shy of that, I think making correlations between measurements and how one will um, uh, perceive something in a system context is a fool's errand. Mm. Yeah, because John has extensive experience in measuring stuff and then correlating that with what he hears yeah, exactly. in, in his listening room, right? And he's done it for decades. Decades. And, in, and, so, and it, with uh, who knows how many scenarios in terms of yeah. how many components how many speakers how many systems it's uh, you know it's extensive <laughs> it's uh, which is not even the right word for it you know so it's it really in terms of relative uh knowledge it's encyclopedic you know right, right. so yeah i mean you can do it but but um you've got to have the the experience i guess we're back on that again but you know this is what i was about to say like whatever you do you cannot dodge the need for first-hand experience, whether it's your own or an opinion that you're soliciting. 
you know their their experience with things because that's why you do this it's why like if i had if i owned a car and it broke i want to take it to a mechanic who'd been operating for many decades because I know he's seen it all and done it all, even if it's a bit more expensive. Because yeah, well, right. it, 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 you know all, all the odd quirks and tricks and things like that. I had a mechanic like that in the UK, and he was great mm. because he was also very interesting to talk to. Because I knew nothing about—I still know nothing about cars. Mm. But um, you know, I, you could learn from this guy, and you could think about. Well, I don't know. It was just—it was just very. It was life enriching. To, it's always, yeah, it's always life enriching to talk to somebody who has a lot of experience in a certain field. Yeah, well, <laughs> I agree. And when I'm reminded of uh, this was, I think, the first CES I went to. And it was so long ago, I'm not going to mention names <laughs> because <laughs> I don't even, you know, what, it doesn't matter. But I was in a room uh, that was showcasing a new. Um, turntable and tone arm and the tone and both were ground up uh designs mm -hmm. and it was a let's just say it was a linear tracking tone arm and mm -hmm. in that room so the designer of that tone arm table was there frank schroeder came in i do remember because I'm, I'm friends with frank and mm -hmm. then the designer of another very expensive uh tone arm and the three of them had a conversation thankfully mostly in english within earshot about just just not, you know, tone arm, let's say tone arm design. Mm -hmm. And now you, uh, we've both seen uh, conversations online uh, uh, descend into argument and mm -hmm. you know, all these kind of things with people who have no experience in what they're talking mm -hmm. about. Now, here are three people who do this, you know, f for, for their living. And there was no sense of, um, discord or anything what they were doing was sharing uh the commonalities that they all face and how mm. they've chosen to approach them and they were they were appreciating the other person's take on on you know how how to deal with the problems that you know designing a tone are presents to everyone mm. so right and that was I, you know that was fascinating and it was um educational and it was yeah it's just uh it was great because what it highlighted for me is the fact that, yes, anyone who's designing a tone arm is going to pre be presented with the same physics. <laughs> mm -hmm. But right. how one approaches those issues will vary based from person to person to person. And there's no mm. right way to approach it. There are, you know, they're only um, the chosen way and how, you know, and it's personalities and it's, interest and how one's life informs their approach to, to you know tackling these issues and they couldn't have been further you know uh their their approaches could not have been further from one another yet you know they they can easily communicate and understand and, and appreciate the other approaches and i think that's a very healthy way to <laughs> you know to uh, view hi-fi in general and that is not this idea of the best approach and the best yeah if you know if you want a deck you have to buy this one because it's measures so well and does this and this and this well that's just flies in the face of reality right because those designers are if they're all facing this the same engineering problems mm -hmm and choosing to tackle those problems in different ways, they're likely all choosing a compromise that they like the most. Exactly. But it'll be, it'll be a different compromise in each, for each designer. 
And so this idea of the, I mean, everything is essentially compromised is also anathema to the black and white thinking of the internet, mm. because the internet doesn't bring this black and white thinking. Is If you don't agree with this person, then you must be an acolyte of this person. Yes. Or if, you know, if you don't have this opinion, like if you, you know, if you don't like windows, you must be a Mac fanboy. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it, it does breed this black and white thinking, which is, I mean, I've said this a lot recently. Mm. I can't remember whether it's in public or not, but. I think the internet is killing the conversation uh, in, in, in about technical matters or hobbies or interests because people are forced into tribes, even unwillingly by other people. And, and as soon as somebody else forces you into or pigeonholes you into a certain way of thinking, the conversation is over. Mm. And you don't get that face-to-face. -face. You know, because I know that you and I mm, yeah. probably almost certainly don't see the hi-fi world the same way. I mean, we have different tastes, but one isn't necessarily better i mean i might tease you about going down the route of like tube amps right right right, right. <laughs> but but you might go oh no john like are these these little kind of like 50 dollar streamers that you do absolutely waste <laughs> like, of time and that's and that's fair enough and we're not going to fall out about it because we i guess because we have enough experience and there's not really a lot on the line mm. you know there's not it's not and i think this is where a lot of angst comes from amongst consumers trying to buy gear is that they've got five or 10 or however much money on the line and they are terrified of making a mistake. Mm. And this is why I say, don't buy it. If you're terrified of making a mistake at 10 grand, you're buying at the wrong price point. Buy where you're not terrified of making a mistake, where you could afford to make a mistake mm -hmm. and live, live more comfortably. Yeah, you, your hi-fi system might not sound as good, but again, you'll come back this this experience building exercise which i think is so important yeah i yeah i mean i guess um i'm tempted to quote myself which is such a dick move but um it's not the first time, <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so i i have to do it you know it's like to my you mind do. the best hi-fi is the one that is used and enjoyed most often so I don't, well, and I don't, and that's the way I feel about it. There's now that's not a, a feel good statement for the sake of feel good. That's the truth of the matter. And I would use the point like if you've got seven records and you spend eighty thousand dollars on your hi fi, and the guy that lives next door to you has twelve thousand records and an eighty dollar hi fi, and you know, I would make a judgment there. <laughs> yeah, I think I would as well, but. You're right because I, uh, Gutenberg said this recently. He said, "Like you know, the hi-fi, the best hi-fi system is the one that makes you want to sit down and listen to more music." And he's he's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, and and this is an entirely subjective thing. And I guess to a point, no re no reviewer is going to take you all of the way to your purchasing decision. It is just never going to happen. Mm. And if they pretend like they are, that I've, I've got to say, I think they're bullshitting you mm. because it's just not possible because. The, you know, they might take you halfway. The, the the rest of the journey, you have to do yourself. You have to put in the work and the effort to find out, do I like this? Mm -hmm. And that's, I do sympathize with the consumers. It's hard now. It's getting ever, it's increasingly harder, which is why I think the companies that are going to really fly in the next three or four years are those that have got good internet sales channels. Yeah, unfortunately, with the current state of things, yeah, that's mm. going to be the case. Yeah, it's increasingly difficult. Well, of course, even prior to COVID, you know, the dealer d dealer base was shrinking. Mm. You know, the number of hi-fi stores was shrinking. 
And uh, so you became less and less uh, convenient to be able to go hear things. And now it's, it's very difficult. Mm. I mean, I get, I get the impression, and maybe you can speak to this better than I can, is that the, the sort of number of miles you would have to drive between certain dealers mm. is really quite large in the USA. Well, depending on where you live, yeah. Sure. But yeah, so obviously not in New York, but like if you're, let's say you, I don't know, you live in Pittsburgh or something. I mean, I don't know where your nearest Magnapan dealer might be or care. Right. 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 Especially, yeah, especially if you get into esoteric brands, you know. Mm. So, And I mentioned this because the, obviously the UK is much smaller and I think it's much easier for people to kind of, you know, think, well, I'm just going to drive across the country Mm. today to go and hear this thing. I'm guessing, because I know there are a good number of dealers in the UK. I'm sure that there are some that are falling away, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's sort of being eaten by the sort of retail cancer, if I can call it that, of mm. um, the USA. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just picking up on things that I read on the net and you know, people email me saying, like, oh, my nearest brand Y dealer is like a day's drive. I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. Mm. And I had not, you know, this is, these, these things always kind of catch me by surprise, but yeah, well, I, I mean, it's certainly the case. I mean, you may not know this, but the U S is a rather large place. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. No, but it does take time. I mean, now I'm reminded. And so I told the story of those auditorium 23, uh, Solovox speakers. I, mm. I ended up owning those speakers and it represented a significant, uh, purchase for me. So I, I took two years before I bought them. I mean, I'm talking about being a pain in the ass. I mean, I was in that dealer a number of times over the course of that time. I got to know someone who owned them and was invited to uh, his home to hear them. Mm. And it was only only based on all of that combined experience that I finally feel like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make that purchase. So, right. Yeah. And, and he, uh, the, where I heard, I, I went to Connecticut. You know, that was a couple hour drive to go hear them. Mm. But to me, it was absolutely worth it to get to hear them in a different environment than a dealer in a, in a home and, you know, to hear what they could do. So, so like if you, so when I lived in Sydney, there, there was always like a certain number of brands that you would never hear unless you went to Melbourne. Mm. And just to spell it out for people, like Melbourne is a 12 hour drive from Sydney. So you have to take, you have to fly. Mm-hmm. So it's an hour and a half on the plane. And yes, if you're spending, 10 grand on a, on a component pair of speakers making that two or three hundred dollar return flight is i think is money well spent mm-hmm. even though it is a you know you might not want to spend the time but like i said you kind of have to make the effort but you know there are some brands that you might not, you might have to travel to adelaide to hear mm. um i'm trying to, I, I don't want to name a brand in case i get it wrong mm. and then that distributed in australia emails me going john you've now screwed my business so i'm not going to make <laughs> who this is but you know like i mean or you would if you lived in melbourne there would be only there would be some brands you could only hear in sydney so it's very actually i mean because australia is the same size roughly as um the usa but you'd still have to travel a lot to go and hear these things or you'd have to try and persuade a dealer to to you know courier it to you on a sale or return basis which is very hard to do if you're you're a first-time caller yeah so yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I do sympathize with people who um, find these things difficult, but I, I would urge them. Like I was looking at eBay 
Actually, this is something I've always wanted to, yeah, another one thing I want to explain to, hmm. is that people, do you ever get this, right? People say to me, John, why, how come you never talk about used gear, the secondhand market? Hmm. And the reason is this, is because when I lived in, in hmm. Australia, the availability of goods was a lot lower, hmm. like generally, so that the secondhand market was smaller and things were more expensive than they were, hmm. say, on eBay in the UK or eBay USA. And so if I, you know, if I go and, I mean, I was looking at an NAD amp today that I'm probably going to buy. It's like 150 euros. Mm. Now I could put this in a video and go, I got this great amp, 150 euros, amazing. But then I would get a slew of emails from people going, well, that's great, John, but we can't buy that amp in our country for that price on the secondhand market yeah. because either there aren't that many of them or it was never sold off, whatever, mm. for whatever reason. So I'm saying that there are much larger supply inconsistencies with the used market than with the new which is why i don't talk about that hardly ever really but i don't know because you're more i mean you've got that um wavelength audio tube amp recently is that right uh, yeah the well that's a, a different uh kind of animal that mm. is the wavelength audio junior integrated mm. amp which was produced in 1987 in a in a small number Mm -hmm. um, but this is part of um, a series of articles I'm going to be doing on just that, on just like older mm -hmm. vintage hi-fi that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And the wavelength holds a lot of interest for me because I first read about it when it came out in Listener Magazine. Art Dudley reviewed huh. it. So there's a yeah. lot of personal story for me there. And I just yeah. find the idea kind of fascinating. So what is this amplifier from 1987? You know, what does it sound like? You know, it's not it's not a review proper. It won't be presented that way. Uh, sure, you're you're doing it as you're doing it for the sake of doing it, almost as just a, again curiosity, right? Uh, it's totally. driving. It's completely right. yeah, yes. And that was that. You know, that was the birth of the whole road trip idea. I wanted to hear those car frayed little big horns, and there mm. were actually the lamb horns at that time. It was another speaker I wanted to hear, and I knew someone who had them, and I was trying to figure out, and they were impossible to get. Uh, for review samples at that particular time. Uh, so that's how I uh, cooked up the idea along with uh, Surjan about doing these road tours. Like, hey, just go mm. there and write about it. So, you know, it was totally because I was very curious, you know, about what these things right. would sound like. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is, this is what motivated me even to start doing this review gig. Actually, before that was just, like I said, buying stuff, because I just was curious, like, I wonder how this sounds. Like, I wonder what this is like. Um, mm. And I, I had the money to kind of lose 100 bucks here, 50 bucks here. I mean, I had to be quite, you know, canny about how I bought and sold things. You know, not that I was deceiving anybody, but mm. I remember buying a pair of Klipsch KG4. And they, they, they still, I mean, everybody has this, don't they? They, they have the ghost, right? The thing that haunts them that they wish they'd never sold oh, on. Absolutely. And I <laughs> wish I'd never sold those. <laughs> but you know what I learned? That was my first experience of Clip Loudspeakers. That was my first, I guess, baptism um, of fire about dynamics, the, the potency of mm. dynamic mm. loudspeakers. I learned so much from living with those for like whatever it was, three months, two months, mm. maybe longer, actually. Um, and there weren't many pairs in Australia. And that pair sort of bounced around a bit, actually, after, after me. You do see this quite a lot. With that one thing, oh, he's got that now. And, you know, this, this does happen if you're, if you're really paying attention. But, yeah, you can, yeah, I guess I, my point is 
do I have a point? Yeah, curiosity, curiosity and experience, I think, are very, very important. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll share the one that got away for me was the uh, I, ha I owned for a while a Sun Audio uh, 300B integrated amp. Mm. And uh, I, uh, I'm not going to get into the why it disappeared on me, but uh, it was a great amp. I wish I still to this day search uh, eBay and I look at you know you can still buy that amp as a kit from Sun Audio. Mm. It's just out of my reach, at, you know, at the moment. But I still go look at it. <laughs> you know, it's like well, someday. But do you not think that you'd be disappointed when if you heard it again? I don't think. I think no. Really? Yeah, no. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, I'm this wavelength junior is in no way disappointing. It's quite startling, actually. Right. How it sounds. Yeah, because I guess having heard a whole bunch of clip speakers now, I don't think the, the KG4 would Im impress me mm. as much. Maybe they would, I don't know. Mm. But I'm also kind of very wary of the the power of nostalgia. Yeah. Because this is what I'm it's really sort of, I guess, short term nostalgia. Because there's another example. There was um there was this amplifier that people raved about in Australia called the Pacini. It was made by Audio Analog. And mm. I think this was all based on the back of one very enthusiastic review. I don't know. Um, but this, this was the original Pacini with the kind of, the, or maybe the second one, the rounded volume knob. And there was one in Australia that kind of did bounce around. It was, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 600 bucks. But that thing was... That thing was my first experience of a, a solid state amplifier that could sound mm. tubey or like like valves or you know not warm I guess if you want to lose, use a, a loose term mm -hmm. because un until that point all the solid state amps I'd heard were mainly made by name so this thing was like oh this is very, <laughs> right. <it's> very difficult <laughs> so and then, you know so this is yeah I guess I don't want to get I'm not, I'm not getting misty eyed about these things but these were. Things I wish I still had knocking about here now, just to keep me in check with what I'm doing now, mm. if you like, you know? Yeah. It's good to have, I don't know. Well, that, I mean, I, uh, just to jump on that word difference, you know, that is another um, kind of uh, hot topic, if you will, for me anyway. And that is, mm. you know, there is a danger when one's doing this. If if you do get into this, you know, try-by thing, you know, difference can be very addictive. Mm. Um, but isn't isn't that what audio files are chasing though well you know um perhaps i wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time for a hundred percent of the people you could fool you know blah 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 no. mm. <laughs> but yeah mm -hmm. difference uh it can be can be addictive like when people say i want an upgrade very often they would be just as happy with something different mm -hmm. I'm like this. I mean, I think, oh yeah, I want something better, but no, I actually just want something different because I just, I just need a refresh. And I've, I think I've, I've made videos about this before where I've said like, if you've got, I don't know, a grand to spend on a pair of speakers, some of you, not all of you will be better served by buying two $500 pairs of speakers <laughs> right. and then, and then flipping them out every six months because the difference will keep you, you know, I guess satiated in terms of your thirst well maybe mistaken thirst for a need for an upgrade mm. i mean yes obviously there are things that are better than other things there is no doubt about that um and it kind of drives me crazy when people say you don't need to spend a lot of money to have a a great sound which is true but implied in that in, in their tone usually is 
all this other expensive stuff is a waste of money, yeah. which is not true because yeah. it depends upon your relationship to money. Mm-hmm. But sorry, I'm going off in all directions here, aren't I? But like, <laughs> <Whoa>. yeah. So, <laughs> so but yeah, like this idea of difference, as you say, it, it is addictive. But I think it's, I think it's pretty harmless because it means you're not stepping up constantly. It means you're not going from like a grand DAC to a two grand DAC to a three grand DAC. Mm. It's just you're staying at maybe a thousand dollar DACs for for a while, maybe. Yeah, well, I guess it's part. It's difficult um, for I think us to. Uh, well, I, I should back up. What I'm thinking is, oh, I'm looking at these Adam speakers. Yeah, I've owned them for years and years, and I don't mm. have the desire to change them, but I do get to listen to different gear every day. So you know what I mean. Maybe that yeah. difference uh, I'm satiated because of uh, you know work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean. Absolutely. We don't have this problem, but I I'm guess what, what I'm trying to do here is relay my experience so people d- don't you know, mistake the need or the thirst or the itch for an upgrade as just the itch for something different. Mm. Or, yeah, I guess th- these are things I've learned over the years of just playing with a whole bunch of gear. Well, I think we've um we've driven that car into the ditch, Michael. So um, yeah, for sure, <laughs> and buried it <laughs> under a few feet of rubble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for your time today. I, I really appreciate um you taking time to just shoot the shit. Really, this is what all I wanted to do today. Really, was kind of shoot yeah shoot the shit about experience. Yeah, my pleasure. You have been listening to John Darko and Twittering Machines' is Michael Lavornia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorston and music came from Ben Pitt.